Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. It's supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. All week all year, it's all college football on the Chuck Oliver Show. Times are changing uh, all across sports and what you're emphasizing and what you really have the resources to. You've seen teams, for instance, programs. Oh, it's a baseball program. And then you're like, wait a minute, they're last in the SEC. Uh, but they're also trying to rise up in football. Um, I have stated that Mississippi State, we look at Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt's going to lo- uh, win the fewest amount of games over like a, any rolling three to five year time. They're going to win the fewest games. So we say, oh, that's the toughest job no 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 that's where you're going to win the fewest games i think the toughest job is going to become mississippi state first time ever head coach ou texas now in the conference uh lane doing what he's doing like none of this sounds like it's easy so jeff levy he's got plenty to say grace over want to welcome on right now good friend of ours and he is afternoon drive host 105.9 the zone in central mississippi it's jake wimberly brother welcome back how you doing today Chuck, my friend, great to always be with you. I appreciate it. Uh, talk about the challenge for Jake. I mean, for um, Jeff Lebby, because as I laid everything out there, I mean, it's all true. Uh, but give some context. Tell me how this can work to a level above just, hey, yep, traditionally, let's win more than we lose and let's beat Ole Miss. Sure. Oh, by the way, Jake Wimberley has trials and tribulations too but that's that's for another day hey and i and i kid but when you talk about jeff levy i don't think you're far off um you know there's there's a cluster of programs you know mississippi state arkansas you can throw south carolina in there i mean we can make an argument for several in the sec but to the, how hard the job is and and you know for jeff levy i mean first off i think he's done a great job in and you know putting together a staff that looks on paper you know there's some question marks on defensive coordinator and some others but you always have those that he put the, the right staff in place they've recruited at least you know pretty pretty darn well you know for a short window the transfer portal uh they're not going to get the you know the eyes on them that uh you know an Ole Miss did this year or even louisville or Ohio State or, or, or Oregon in the transfer portal, but I think they've added some pieces. So, you know, I think for a program like Mississippi State, it, it is extremely tough. Um, I mean, Dan Mullen proved you can win in Starkville. Um, you know, Mike Leach proved that you can win in Starkville. So there have been those pockets and times where you can win. Now, now again, what are the expectations of the program? So, I, you know, I don't foresee the program expectations ever being Alabama or Georgia or Texas or LSU, but I, I think the standard should be, you know, to be bowl eligible and now with a new 12-team playoff, maybe, you know, once every five to six years that you are at least in that conversation in November. So how do you do that? Um, one, I think you have to recruit and continue to, you know, bust your ear in and recruit, work the transfer portal. We know how important that is. And in this state, Chuck, I mean, you know this. I mean, it is so tough in recruiting, um, particularly even in your own state, because, you know, a lot of people like to, to highlight the state of Mississippi and say, hey, pound for pound, most talent, you know, per capita in the, in the country. Well, a lot of that is true, but anytime that we have an influx of great talent uh, from the high school level, particularly in this state, you've got Mississippi State and Ole Miss battling them, but now you've got, you know, the Alabamas and the LSUs and Auburns, and now you've got Oregon and Ohio State and other teams coming into 
of this, this state trying to grab a player or two. So that becomes a challenge. So I think for Jeff Levy, I think you have to play it differently. And what I mean is this, you have to offensively scheme it differently. Um, you saw what Mike Leach was able to do, throwing the football outside the hashes. Dan Mullen did it differently. And I think for Jeff Levy, you got to work your ear off and you've got to play football just a little different um, than, than what is traditionally done in this conference. And, and for him, I mean, this will be a test this year. Uh, but it, I think it'll be a fun brand of football that he brings to Starville. I think, Jake, I mean, we've all realized we just wind up criticizing the coach when it doesn't work. Um, when you get somebody like Lebby in and he delegates play calling, it's like, well, that's why we hired you. Why don't you do it? Well, Lebby's going to call plays. If it doesn't work, we're going to say, you're trying to do too much. Um, tell me how you think this is going to unfold. Because he has said, hasn't he? He's like, nope, I'm calling plays. It's my offense. I'm going to do it. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing. I mean, you know, you get some of these guys, especially offensive-minded guys. I mean, it's, hey, the buck stops here. Um, if it works, it's on me. If it doesn't work, it's on me. And you sure don't want to put your, you know, cast your lot into somebody that, you know, maybe you have to pass the buck, but nobody wants to hear it. So I would fully expect um, Jeff Levy to, to do, you know, have the, the bulk of the play-calling duties. Obviously, he'll have analysts and, and pass game coordinators, run game coordinators, and all of that. But I think if you want to kind of peek into what he's going to do, I mean, you look at what Oklahoma did this past year. Just look at what he did with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss and just look at Ole Miss. I, you could potentially see two carbon copies of the same type of offense with a little variation in Starville and Oxford this year. All right. Walk me through a uh, quarterback because obviously change in head coach is you know, changing offense. OC, all that transfer from Baylor uh, kids still staying on the roster. Not everybody transferred. Just tell me, uh, walk through the quarterback uh, two deep or three deep. Three deep, obviously shaping uh, Blake shaping the yep. quarterback you referenced from Baylor. He's going to get the nod. Uh, you, it, it, this day and age, you don't bring transfer quarterbacks in to set them unless just something doesn't work out, be it academically or an injury. So shaping will be the guy. Obviously, a returning guy on the roster um, who got a little time last year, and then another guy this recruiting cycle. So you're going to have a one-year guy in shaping, and then two young guys. So that would tell you looking forward uh, after this year, the Bulldogs will probably hit the transfer portal unless one of these young guys work out. But then you still add some depth, but with Chapin, he's a guy, if you kind of look at his game, he's going to make plays with his feet and he's going to make plays with his arm. And I think in any of these quote unquote spread offenses, and, you know, we can, we can put that in quotes and then expand from there on how you want to run it. Be it if you're, uh, you know, Tennessee or Oklahoma, or if you're UCLA, USC or Mississippi state and Ole Miss there, I think that uh, Levy wants a guy that can stress the defense and, you know, you can play 11 on 11 football. And that's kind of the premise. I think with, with a guy like Shapin, you look at what he did at Baylor, he's able to do that. Now, you know, if, if you look at him as far as comparison, uh, you know, to the rest of the SEC, he's probably a middle of the pack guy. I mean, you look at the top, you've got Jalen Milroe and Jackson Dark coming back, Carson Beck, uh, you know, Quinn Ewers at Texas, uh, Brady Cook at, at Missouri. Um, so he's going to fall beneath that at least initially probably a middle of the tier guy for the sec uh but that doesn't mean you can't make it work and i i think he's a guy that can you know can stress a defense and that's what levy wants out of a quarterback wrapping up jake wimberly he's program director he's afternoon drive espn 105.9 let's talk uh, a little bit upstate lane oxford um what do you think the real blue sky is for them this year i mean i, I think playoffs which means in a 12-team format you could actually win the thing Chuck, you know this. Look, in this state right now, I've never seen it 
the expectations as high for Ole Miss football. Maybe you got to go back to Eli Manning's senior year, probably. Great, um, great. And, and and I I think it's probably higher now. And, and and I think it's I think it's warranted. You know, in this state, you get into the battle Mississippi State and Ole Miss fans, and you know they like to 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 throw sand in each other's face of hey, well this team was overrated and it was overhyped. And but look, this team is a team that just won eleven ball games made Penn State look lethargic in the Peach Bowl. They did lose Judkins, obviously, to Ohio State, but worked the transfer portal as good as anybody. And, uh, you know, I I believe it's playoff or bust for this Ole Miss team. And, you know, does that mean national championship? Probably not. But, I mean, like you said, if you get in that tournament now, you have a shot. And, and that's where the, the conversation piece is. And I can tell you this. I mean, you're talking baseball. They're coming into the in, out, out of the break. Mississippi State and Ole Miss baseball are off to very sluggish starts. And if that continues for about the next two weeks, Ole Miss fans will go straight to football and forget uh, baseball, and Mississippi State fans will as well. Um, A lot of anticipation in the state this year, both different anticipations out of both camps, and for Ole Miss, it's playoff or nothing. Could I ask you, because I'm used to Mississippi State being, I mean, I'm going all the way back to like Will Clark days, Palmero days, um, Thigpen. Um, is, Is there any particular reason for a fall off, or is it nobody's great every year? Well, that's a great question. A lot of people are trying to figure out. I mean, you know, you go back to last year, a lot of it was pitching. Uh, you look at Chris Lamonis changed uh, pitching coaches, got rid of uh, Jeff Foxhall, and then, you know, a new pitching coach. So pitching has been an issue. Hitting uh, at times have been an issue. It's it's kind of a conglomerate. You talk about talent. I mean, Mississippi State recruits well. Uh, some of those guys didn't make it to campus. And I, you know, transfer portal has been decent. But I, I think it's a collective of issues that just have not worked out for whatever reason on the field. And then also the league is so good. I mean, we talk about how good the league is in football equally or more it's it's deeper than in baseball than it is anything so um and and these things tend to roll downhill right i mean you you have a year where you you do bad and you come back and it's bad again and then you get off to a slow start and it just it kind of rolls downhill on you and i think that's kind of where mississippi state is right now they got to turn that thing around quickly still a party over the left field fence though right Oh, absolutely. That that okay. never stops. Right? Okay. It, it right. never stops. <laughs> Just wondering, Jake, I appreciate you coming on today, man. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Chuck. Appreciate it. Jake Wimberley, Program Director, ESPN 105.9. Yeah, left field in Starkville. And I don't know. Somebody, there's a story, and I'm sure all Mississippi State fans know the story. Maybe Heath knows the story. But somehow, I don't know, over the left field fence, that became the place to hang out. And it may have been that's where the cheapest stuff was and that's where the tailgates were. And so let's go watch some baseball. It has a fall, believe me. It is, it's a structure, man. It's a lounge, literally left field lounge. When I was at Auburn, my freshman year, I'm walking from class one day back to my apartment. I lived in married housing. (laughs) I was not married. They had extra apartments available. I was like, I'll take one of those over a dorm. So I'm walking back to the apartment and just walking down the sidewalk and there's the baseball stadium. And I was like, oh, okay, I think I'll sit and watch a little baseball. That's literally all it took. Walking down the sidewalk, there's Auburn playing baseball. Might've been playing Virginia. And so that's what it was. Well, I don't know, way back in the day, back your truck wherever you want to up next to the Mississippi State left field. Uh, and that's not really what it is anymore, man. It's uh, it's one of the parties that you'll find anywhere around all of college baseball. That's where it is. Um, so, all right, we will take a quick break and continue on this Thursday next. Catch 
the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Continue on this Thursday, Chuck Oliver. I'm talking college football. Heath Pine's going to talk college football as well, but right now I'm going to talk college football. And two questions. First one, it's called an attention getter. The second one could determine the national championship. Uh, we were just talking with Jake Wimberly, and I talked about part of this earlier in the week, but we were talking with Jake Wimberly and mostly about Mississippi State. And I was like, Tilt North, uh, tell me what you're thinking about Ole Miss and what's possible up there. And he said, Ole Miss, there are expectations unlike any, at least since Eli. And because, see, Ole Miss has been in a different spot, especially since 92 when you started having divisions. Could they win a one-game scenario in Atlanta against a really great opponent? Well, yeah, they couldn't get to Atlanta. That's what I was talking about yesterday. That was the whole concept of what I said, think Ole Miss. A team that previously the big big problem was how you gained entry to the playoff field. They had to win the West, and for Ole Miss, they probably had to win the conference. They just didn't have the resume like Ohio State would, Bama would. Ole Miss can't get into playoff in a four-team era without winning the conference. Now they can. When I say the first question is a college football attention getter, yeah, what if Lane has the best quarterback in the SEC? When I say best, he doesn't have the best quarterback. What if he has the most productive? What if he has the bottom line week to week? You look at Jackson Dart and you're like, man, that guy, he is producing. He is a heartbeat. Every Saturday, that guy, it tick, 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 tick. What if Lane, by and large, big picture, bird's eye, like all of that, what if he has the best quarterback this year? And Carson Beck, mm, fantastic. Nico, love me some Nico. Garrett Nussmeyer, I'm excited to see what Garrett Nussmeyer as the full-time quarterback becomes. So there are all kinds of great scenarios. So many of them around the conference that I'm looking at and going, tell me more. South Carolina, they swear, no, we really like this kid. I'm like, you just went from Spence Rattler, who was the number one recruit in America and started at Oklahoma and was a Heisman favorite, we were told. You went from him to Lenore Sellers and you're jazzed? Kentucky, come on, five-star, play for Liam Cohen. He shows up. He's like, hey, about that Liam Cohen thing. All of this throughout the conference. What if Lane has the best quarterback? He's got a guy who will be a third-year starter. Not an everyday thing for a guy to be a third-year starter in college football for the same coach. And that's what Jackson Dart's going to be. What if it's Jackson Dart, who I'd mentioned yesterday? Well, he got better at, you know, two years ago, the 22 season. Wow, look how much of an impactful runner Jackson Dart is. I wasn't expecting it. Last year, wow, look how much of an impactful thrower he was. I wasn't expecting that. If Lane actually has the best quarterback in the SEC, wowzers. Matt Corral was really good. Um, I don't know, two or Mac Jones or who like Matt Corral was great. Matt Corral wasn't the best quarterback in the SEC. What if Lane has the best QB? All right. Second question I say can determine the national championship. What if his defense is an even bigger story? If you look, and we were talking about in state recruiting with Jake, but if you look 
it's it's partially in-state high school kids. It's partially Walter Nolan. Ole Miss, yeah, they lost Quinshawn Judkins and Woby Tide. Any team that loses a player like that, they got a lot of ready-to-play kids from the transfer portal, including Walter Nolan. And when I say a lot of ready-to-play kids, they got a lot of ready-to-play right now on the lines of scrimmage, particularly defense. Kids in the portal and through high school and the emphasis. And Heath, I ask you, if Lane has the best quarterback in the SEC, that's where most of us would just like put the period. Oh my gosh, let's talk about that. What if his defense this year plays at a level that makes that an even bigger story? I mean, we could be talking. We're saying that they make the playoffs because there are more spots. What if they're just playoff good enough? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. I mean, you look at the resources that they've added. Put it this way. If you took them out of Oxford, if you took the brand names off, and it was just the old uh, soda challenge where you sip one, you sip the other, which one do you like better? If you took all the brand names off, I think a lot of people would think this team could do it. But because Ole Miss has never been to Atlanta, at least not for the SEC, then there's still that, yeah, but, though. They are not in the club. Uh, It's what I was saying, that in the four-team era, um, the skepticism would have come from the committee. Um, Ohio State, Clemson maybe in a weird scenario. There were certain teams. Georgia insisted they should be one get the bid without the championship. Then there was everybody else in Division One, which was probably like 120 other teams, uh, that you couldn't do that. And so if it's the bias in the room, well, there's still bias among our perceptions. Uh, and I'm talking about me, you, fans, listeners, everybody in February. The cool part for Ole Miss is 12 teams allows them to work through that perception, whereas perception of anybody, us, the play- playoff committee themselves, what perception was enough to keep them out. Yeah, there's no doubt. And uh, look, you know, now the question I think for Lane is going to be, too, how does he deal with expectations, Chuck? Because Lane has never really had to. He's dealt with them at Southern Cal to an extent, and he didn't do it very well. At Ole Miss, at FAU, there's never been a time where Lane Kiffin has really had to deal with expectations. And so some of the things that he's been able to do in the past kind of be a little bit off the radar in how he handles some things, not interact with the media as much, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm real curious to see how Lane deals with, for the first time, certainly since L.A., and really only one year or two in L.A., how he deals with that. Yeah, and he didn't even stick around long enough to really uh, get to fail the big-picture expectations. It was enough to be in the moment uh, what they were at Southern Cal, uh, and he was gone. So I, I just think that the way – and the reason I brought this up is I've noticed that the way we have framed Ole Miss's entree to the playoffs is, well, hey, now that there's 12, um, there's a chance they may just be playoff good enough as it is. There's a chance. I mean, you look at the end of the season, and because of Georgia's schedule – I don't know. There's a chance that, like, we look at the top of the – I've said, what if Texas wins uh, the conference their first year in? I don't know. What if Ole Miss wins the conference their first year in uh, that Texas is in? So, it's just – it's kind of a wider open field, and you don't have the fast track for a team that probably isn't good enough to be in Atlanta, like the SEC West some years with Arkansas, the SEC East some years with other uh, reps. Uh, You don't have that, that fast lane. You don't have the easy pass in. No, no, that's true. And and so now we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. Again, part of what is being talked about, too, is this idea with the new playoff that they're going to have potentially four guaranteed spots for the SEC. And that's where things also get interesting, too, Chuck, because 
you look at it long term, if there are four guaranteed spots for the SEC and four guaranteed spots for the Big Ten, are we going to see either one, the championship game go away, which with the money it makes for the SEC, nah. I don't think they plan on it going anywhere. Other conferences might be like, hey, we don't, we don't need it. We don't want it. But if you know there are four guaranteed spots, it's going to be fascinating to see how they handle that with regards to the playoff and the championship game. Is it almost better not to make the championship game be a higher seed? Yes, if you make the championship game, you might get the bye week. But at the same time, if you don't make the championship game in the first place, you're probably hosting at home. If you don't think you're going to win the championship game, especially if you're going to be a sizable underdog, being three might be better than two. It's going to create some weird incentives in the near future if this thing goes the way they're talking about. And I wonder if it's going to um, somehow uh, coaches are going to maybe subconsciously ease off the uh, the panic button. Like James Franklin fired Mike Yersich a day after the home loss to eventual national champion Michigan in November. Like, I don't know, 15 minutes later, we realized, oh, that was sort of like everybody's Saturday against Michigan Um, because we had all been saying they hadn't played anybody. We don't know how good they are. And then Penn State looked horrid against them. Well, we realize now a lot of offenses looked horrid against Michigan, and his response was to fire a top-20 coordinator because he knew our season's over now. Because it's a 14 playoff and we're not even going to win the division, we got to fire him. Um, I think that coaches, they're not going to have that moment in early November when they realize our season just ended. I think it's going to slow down the firing process of coordinators and assistants. Yeah, I'm also curious about what it does to scheduling. Because like Matt Rule, for example, uh, went public and basically said, quote, in a year where you hope to play 15 or 16 games, why would you elect to play a really tough game early? Uh, so he's pretty much already committing to the idea he wants Nebraska to play trash non-conference. That's uh, what Michigan's done the last two years, trash non-conference. Now, this year they're playing Texas, but Michigan the last couple of years with Harbaugh very clearly leaned into a philosophy of we're not playing anybody with a pulse non-conference. And you've already got Matt Rule saying not that Nebraska has shown us any reason to think they're in the playoff run in the near future, but he's already saying I don't see any point in playing anybody good before then if it could affect me. So – are we going to see September turn into some really fallow, uh, hard-to-watch football? Yeah, you want to be rich, do what rich people do. You want to be undefeated and win a national championship? Well, at least try to do the things that those programs do, and that is what Matt Rule is saying Nebraska will do. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash john. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com. 
It's always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show rolling along on this Thursday. Nine states and 60 sticks. Been doing it 10 years. I appreciate the blessing. I mean that, folks. Thank you all so much. If we get in the DeLorean and head back to 2016, hi, I'm Kirby Smart, and here's my first coaching staff in Athens. Well, let's look on the offensive side. Jim Chaney, well, he's gone. He's at South Carolina now. Um, Shane Beamer, oh, he's at South Carolina too. Uh, He's a little more than at South. I'm sorry, no, James Coley's at South Carolina. That's right. Uh, James Coley was the receivers coach. He's with Beamer at South Carolina. Uh, Sam Pittman, head coach at Arkansas. Like Kirby can hire, folks. He really can. Del McGee was on that first staff. And when you look at the rest of those names, I mean, Mel Tucker, he's already been a head coach and gone. Um, Glenn Schumann is the DC now, and he's thought to be next. Well, Del McGee is a name that a lot of folks have asked about for a long time because he's had so much success in the recruiting area. And he has been kind of ambitious about wanting to be uh, a coordinator, a head coach. Well, there's a chance that that may be happening. I want to welcome on right now ugasports.com it is anthony dasher anthony how you doing today man hey chuck i'm doing great i appreciate your time del mcgee has yep. been there since kirby showed up in athens uh talk yep. about first of all his impact on the program uh what has been his contribution because he's been a name a lot of people have talked about for a few seasons yeah no doubt and, and like you you were saying in your intro he's made it pretty clear he wants to be a head coach at some yep. point in time but but you look at what he's done with george i mean you have to start with the uh you know, work he's done as a recruiter, you know, some of the names he brought in every year. It seemed like he's bringing in a four-star, five-star guy. But also, I don't. sometimes I don't think he gets enough credit just for the work he does as a coach. I mean, you ask Nick Chubb, that's Sonny Michelle, what impact Dale McGee has had on them, and those guys will, will wax poetically. And those guys, neither one of those guys are real talkers so for, for, for a long time, just that, that's how much he, he means to them. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, but Dale McGee has, has had a – been a been a key role. Been one of Kirby Smart's key lieutenants. You mentioned him and Glenn Sherman have been here, you know, the longest of anybody currently on the staff. And uh, if in fact he does uh, get the Georgia State job, that would uh, you know be a big big hole for Kirby Smart to have to fill. So, what is your understanding of where this sits? Has he been offered the job? Is there still negotiations? Is it up for him up to him to say yes or no? Well, what we were told this morning, um, this was about nine thirty or thereabouts that. No offers have been made as of yet. There are on-campus interviews going on. We understand George State is actually in Athens, you know, to to speak with him. But they're also talking to some other other people as well. So, uh, as I'm sitting here right now, I'm not aware that any offers have been made. I do expect it to be. I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'll probably you know be more surprised if an offer is not made to Dale as opposed to you know opposed to the other. But right now, it's not. But I I I would I'll be very surprised if if you know. Very soon, perhaps tomorrow, that you know, Del McGee is not the coach of Georgia State. All right, well, let's talk about uh, Georgia. Regardless of who is coaching running backs, let's talk about spraying and particularly that sure. running back position. There may be two more NFL guys coming out of uh, Del McGee's running back tree. Uh, talk about who's going to be returning as well as ETN coming in from Florida. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, a, I think, a, a deep room. I mean, you know, Trevor ETN is, uh, you know, I didn't really think about it at the time because you look at the guy that George has coming back, but, uh, Trevor at the end was just, uh, I think, just a just a major major pickup. I mean, not every day you can go into the you know portal and find a, a guy with two years SEC experience who's been successful 
and the commerce like, like Trevor has. But, you know, with, with Branson Robinson still, you know, they don't really know yet when he's going to be back. I mean, if he's going to yeah. be back. So, you know, it's really key to get him back. But, you know, uh, you know Andrew Paul, uh, you know, they, they've got him. Robert Robinson, they played very well in the Orange Bowl. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got some, uh, say, signing three really good, you know, true freshmen back. So, you know, one of them's in, in camp right now is an early and early enrollee. And uh, so, again, those those are guys, too, that go back to Dale McGee. He's the one who kind of brought, who, who brought them here. But it's a deep group. So let's bounce out to the perimeter now because that's another position mm-hmm. that if, if Dale McGee were to leave, uh, that is another position wide receiver that I think they're still looking at coaches. Um, let's first yeah. of all talk about the sidelines. What is the status of that search? Well, it kind of it's kind of a mystery right now. I know you know a lot of Georgia fans. As soon as that job became open, they automatically gravitated toward Heinz Ward. But I've heard nothing at all to, to say that Heinz Ward has even been a thought in Kirby Smart's mind right now. I mean, people mention Terrence Edwards. Who I think would do a good job as well. But, you know, he just took a, a, a high, the head coaching job. I believe is at Mount Vernon High School, and uh, right now, but I don't. But been a lot of names, a ton of names, but I don't. I've not heard anybody, you know, specifically at this, at this point in time. Coach Smart, I understand, has talked to a lot of different people, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I, I believe he'll make a decision over here relatively soon with spring practice, uh, less than a month away. But uh, right now, uh, I could not tell you who he's going to hire. And I it's probably going to be somebody nobody even considered yet right now. All right, well, let's go back in time. Uh, Brandon Streeter is coaching Deshaun, and then he's coaching Trevor, and he's the next mm-hmm. big thing, and then it's all his fault at Clemson. Um, <laughs> what What have you heard? Uh, it happened. I mean, 15 minutes it happened. Um, yeah. What have you heard? What's the general review? Because he spent last season as a as just an assistant in the program with Kirby. Yeah, yeah he's been an analyst, and uh, I would assume I would, you know, like most analysts, I'm sure he's looking to get back as an on-field coach, and that would be something perhaps to look for if uh, if Del McGee does get the Georgia State job. Perhaps uh, you know that maybe open up something for, for Brandon Street, maybe at Georgia State. That's that's been uh, in some of the, the scuttle has been out a little bit this morning, you know, as well. So uh, again, I, I, I would would not surprise me. I don't see him getting an on-field job somewhere, but. But yeah, he was. Uh, I know Clemson fans uh, really blame him. I guess for some of the issues they've had over the years, but he's still still considered a very, very good coach. And I expect he'll get another chance here pretty soon. Last guy I want to ask you about on that realm is Joe Cox. It's been interesting to me, man. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like a just a straight up arrow for him uh, in the coaching world. Talk about like remembering him when he was in Athens yeah. as a player, and then what he is now. Yeah, Joe Cox. I mean, he was a you know a gritty, grindy type of type of quarterback. Nobody really you know gave you know thought of him gave him much of a chance in that regard but i think he's i think he did pretty well when he had a chance to play at georgia and then there's a as a coach uh as a tight ends coach he's uh really kind of moving up moved up the chain of course last year was a uh, alabama is an old miss right now and i know uh his name has been bandied about too as a, a possible you know return to georgia as the wide receivers coach but again that's something i've not heard uh his name uh other than fan talk that uh you know so any legitimacy to him coming coming to Athens? But he's a very good coach. Somebody uh, who, like I said, has really kind of climbed the ladder in the past last couple of years. If I'm remembering, he had his moments against Colorado that day. He led the comeback, so he got to have That's his right. he got to moment have his fun. moment as quarterback. That's great. Yes, uh, yes, flip, he did. flip it around to defense um, because of injury or whatever else. There were a few younger linebackers who got some run last year. Uh, mm-hmm. Just. Tell me about the linebacker room and some of the kids that are moving up, especially with a guy like Jamon Dumas Johnson going, yeah, I'm going to Kentucky. Yeah, I think it's a very deep group. I mean, I think that's probably the reason that the Jamon decided to move on. I mean, C.J. Allen came in last year as a true freshman. I believe finished fifth on the team in tackles. A very, very good player. You know, Raylan Wilson, 
same thing, uh, you know, with a former former five star guy who, who who fit right in. You know, Smile Mund is coming back. Uh, you know, Jalen Walker is, is back. Uh, Troy Bowles is is uh, is there, and they signed uh, you know Justin Williams in this most recent class. So it's about I think the linebacker group group is very deep, and again, I think that's one of the reasons you probably started Javon trying to move on because uh, uh, he he may have just been Wally Pitt there uh, with some of the young kids they've got right now. All right, last thing, and this is a peek ahead. This is not even Georgia football anymore. Brock yeah. Bowers. I'm sure you're like everybody else. We look at the draft. It's fun. Yeah. And now there's stories about Brock Bowers. His stock is dropping. I cannot <laughs> come up with anything outside of a tightrope schedule three months ago. Yeah. Um, you've seen those things. Uh, give me just your top-of-line reaction. I just think that's some people, coaches, scouts, whatever you want to call it, just trying to drive drive down the price. It's going to sign. It's going to Take take the getting. That's the only thing I can think of because Brock Bowers, again, um, been covering this team a long time, and he's one of the top five, uh, you know, Bulldogs I've ever seen personally. You know, seen play. I think he's the best tight end by far Georgia's ever had. You look at the skill set, the things he can do well. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm count me as stunned as seeing uh, people yeah. predicting him now to go 16, 17, and 18 in the draft. I just somebody's gonna be missing out if that's the case. Anthony, I appreciate you coming on, friend. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. UGASports.com. Yeah, Brock Bowers, I mentioned this when it was happening. That kid caught 13 touchdowns as a freshman. And he had a moment against Alabama in that title game and the SEC championship game when uh, there weren't enough of them. He had one. Brock Bowers might have been the best freshman I had seen in Athens since Herschel Walker was a freshman. And I think I was only like a seventh grader when Herschel was a freshman. So, I mean, I understood, hey, that's college football and that's, you know, Georgia's on this side and Tennessee's over there. But, you know, you don't really process at any sort of level. It's just about who you like and who you hate. I hate Nebraska and I hate Notre Dame and uh, I like Alabama. So it's about who you like and who you hate. But everybody, when Herschel showed up, people forget he didn't start that night in his first game, the big run over Bill Bates against Tennessee. He didn't start that night. He wasn't the second running back. He wasn't the third running back. He was the fourth running back that Vince Dooley put in the game. Well, he started after that, and he was Herschel right and Herschel left and Herschel up the middle and over the river. and through. Like, it was Herschel. As a, I think Brock is the second best freshman I've ever seen. On offense, I mean, I can't remember. He might be the second best freshman I've ever seen in Athens after Herschel Walker. And to hear that his draft stock, um, maybe he's sliding down. I have opined, and this is not fair either, because here's two things about Kyle Pitts. Friend. Here's the, the thought. Kyle Pitts ruined it for everybody. Well, all right, what does that mean? Kyle Pitts was drafted fourth overall, and his lack of consistent production as an NFL player may have ruined the prospects for other players at that position to be drafted as high. All right, let's go back to the more colloquial. Kyle Pitts ruined it for everybody. Kyle Pitts had competent professional quarterbacking for one season and he set a rookie record like he and Dick are the only 2,000 yard guys um and then he's been hurt like he was hurt last year a lot more than people know so now back to our perceptions Kyle Pitts may have and he may have ruined it for everybody because whether it's fact-based or deserved or real or there's context there are times we look at it and go I'm just not taking a quarterback from USC again I'm just Sanchez and Barkley I'm just not taking it anymore Matt Leinart uh, and there are times you just decide we're not taking quarterbacks from USC. Yeah, one, Matt, Lyon, Matt Leiner ruined it for everybody. Yeah, Chuck, one, one argument that I've seen for why Bowers is dropping is the idea that if you take him with a very high pick, leaving Kyle Pitts out of it, 
that the value you get on the second contract for him is not as high uh, as as opposed to a wide receiver. That basically a top wide receiver, you're paying you know, $25, $30 million now uh, if you're going in the free agent market and signing one, whereas you could get an elite player, maybe you know, an Odunze, say, or uh, whoever, for like $8 million salary for the next few years, whereas that second contract for a tight end is more like $12 million. And so you're paying the same kind of money, and you're not getting a big difference between if you went and signed an established guy in the market. Now, there's another side of that argument, too, which is, well, wait a minute. If this guy turns into a superstar pass catcher, who cares whether he's a tight end or a receiver? You're getting a deal by virtue of that fifth, sixth, seventh-year contract being a $12 million kind of contract. You're actually getting a deal. But if right now you're just thinking, what helps my salary cap most, the difference between tight end and receiver for a veteran player, that seems to be at least part of the thinking here. Yeah, and also part of the thinking in the NFL, and this has become more than just a one-off or two-off or three-off, is specifically with the receiver. Oh, it's time to break him off? Time for that rookie contract to expire? Yeah, let's trade him for a first-round draft pick. Um, that has happened in multiple ex- uh, examples all around the NFL that it was time to pay the receiver because you're right, a rookie guy like Jamar Chase showed up. He's like, hi, I'm one of the best receivers in the league. Um, that's not a normal thing. It's becoming more normal for them to be really productive, though. Um, so there is a thought that uh, when they get really expensive, we'll just trade them for a draft pick, and instead of giving A.J. Brown $25 million a year, we'll draft Traylon Burks, and then and it doesn't always work that way. Not always seamless, but that has been the the pattern. So Brock Bowers, he kind of looked around going, I ain't done anything, and I'm following in the draft. So we'll see how it unfolds in just a couple of months. Live from... Detroit. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, gosh, it's time to wrap up on this Thursday. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. You said your dad went to Kevin Sumlin yep. and says for $3 million. We're staying for two. More. Now you do realize this is prior to NIL. I agree. This this so this is a a back room deal. It went on for 30, 40 years before. It was the same way that was happening when you was getting recruited. Shannon Sharp talking to on his podcast to Johnny Manziel, former Texas A&M quarterback, Heisman winner, and says I would have stayed two more years for three million dollars. Says behind his back, he says I didn't know this. But Daddy Manziel went to Kevin Sumlin and said, for $3 million, I'll stay for two more years. Now, if that happened, I'm going to, okay, if that happened, obviously either he didn't get the $3 million or he got the $3 million and went pro anyway. Um, I'm guessing it didn't happen. He didn't get the $3 million. I can't promise you that the offer was made. I'm telling you Johnny Manziel said the offer was made. Heath. At one point, if Lenny Dykstra told me that the sky was blue and the grass was green, I would go outside and check. Um, it quickly, I realized, turned to, oh, hey, did you see this story? When the Mets played the Phillies in 1987, I, it quickly became, no, Lenny Dykstra says when the Mets played the Phillies in night. Like, to me, Johnny Manziel said really needs to do a lot of work here. Yeah, although I will say, at least in the interview, he um, he seemed to be pretty frank about a lot of things. I mean, he talked about how he owes 
LeBron James's team an apology for how poorly he handled himself in Cleveland uh, alluded to the idea that losing 40 pounds between the end of his time in Cleveland in August the next year was a steady diet of blow. Um, there's there's enough things said there that it, at least it appears that he's willing it, to be about as frank and honest as he's been. Okay, didn't he already have a Netflix documentary, though, where he was supposed to have come clean with all this? That See, that's the point I'm making. Like, Lenny Dykstra told some amazing stories, and I was like, my gosh, all that stuff went on, I didn't even know it. And then I kept hearing new things. I was like, I thought he already told us everything. Like, there was a Netflix documentary where we were supposed to get all this. Now it's just a casual conversation. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about the $3 million. It could have very well happened. It absolutely, every word of that, and I don't have any reason to say it didn't other than well he said that 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 basically someone laughed at it and yes. that that does sound true like if he said they gave me the three million and then we walked then i'd be like i don't know but if you are kevin someone i think that's exactly what you do yeah yeah sure let's give you three million and sign up for two more years of of where this train has been going and let's see how it looks okay. and sure <laughs> instead he signed up for trill and if you don't recall, they opened that season on a Thursday. I think I was at a Boise State Ole Miss game, and Texas A&M unloaded. I mean, a sack of hammers on South Carolina. I'm trying to remember, was it like a 4 o'clock kick or something, like oh. a weird kickoff? Oh, it was primetime. It was the first game ever shown on the SEC Network. That was why they were playing on Thursday night. With that was fanfare. it. And then they went to the Boise thing. That was the Boise Ole Miss thing. It was an SEC. That's right. And they put a huge number up. And someone post game, he was like, "I told you we weren't one pony. I told you we weren't going anywhere." And then Kenny Hill got benched. Like I don't know, six weeks later. So um, it was a weird time, and it's only been ten years ago. But so again, I'm just saying every word Johnny Manziel says could be true. Lenny Dykstra could still be telling the truth every time. But I look at it and I go, I thought we'd already come clean with all this. Um, and so it's just what it is. Maybe it's the continuing unfolding and there's a lot more. Very well could be. But the point is, he didn't get the $3 million. Uh, What else is happening, Heath? A couple of things here, Chuck. One, uh, this is good news for all of us. I don't normally celebrate anybody losing a job because karma-wise, that's just not a good thing to do. But Jack Collinsworth, the last two years, has been the play-by-play voice on NBC of Notre Dame. Jack Collinsworth had literally never done any kind of meaningful play-by-play before he got that job. And it was just bizarre because he's not good at it. I understand his dad has the connection at NBC and that got him through the door. I understand he's a Notre Dame alum, but just because you have a connection doesn't mean you should just do anything and everything. He was objectively bad. And the folks at The Athletic are reporting that he is out as the play-by-play voice after two years, interestingly, they're not going to have a full-time play-by-play voice on Notre Dame. Uh, Garrett is going to apparently be the analyst still. Most of the time, it's going to be Dan Hicks. But basically, Chuck, what they're doing is they're going to say Noah Eagle and Todd Blackledge are their lead play-by-play voice. So if the Big Ten game they've got is their best game, they're on that. And if Notre Dame, they think that week is their best game, then they're on that. So Dan Hicks and... um, Dan Hicks and, and uh, Garrett get whatever the other game is. Whatever they don't think is the best game, they get that. And a certain number of times, that's going to be Notre Dame. I just for, for having had that relationship as long as they have, Chuck, it has amazed me how poor NBC has done with that broadcast through the years. Putting, yeah, they have, putting rivals on there. I mean, just weird stuff. They have devalued it themselves. And it's a brand that you think, I mean, it can, it's, it's pretty Teflon. It's pretty resilient. Um, and here's the thing. Um, if you tell America enough, 
this is important. You need to pay attention. By and large, we got a history of, oh, yeah, we'll pay. Like, NBC, tell me this is a big deal event, and we have something dedicated to it. And you don't. You're saying, no, it's just kind of in the mix. Like, you need to declare it yourself that, hey, this is important. Pay attention. Yeah, and so, again, I I think that Noah Eagle seems pretty good. He'll be because he's a play-by-play guy and has actually been doing play-by-play. By definition, he will be better whatever game he's on than Jack Collinsworth was. Also, Chuck, we have breaking NCAA news. The NCAA would like to remind all of you listening, it exists still, and it is making rules. And so, this morning, the NCAA has alerted schools they will no longer be allowed to decorate prospects' hotel rooms. When kids come into the hotel room before the school had maybe gone in there, laid out the gift bag, you know, hey, here's here's this or that, you know, here's Balloons, your cookie cake. Balloons, Balloons, edible bouquet. None of that is allowed. You can still give the kids a cookie cake. You can still give them the edible bouquet, but you have to give it to them in the lobby and have them take it upstairs. You cannot lay it out in the hotel room before they arrive. But... But Heath Klein Chevrolet can give him a ZR1. Yes. Okay, but I can't give him, like, cubes of pineapple on a long stick. Well, you can. You just have to make him carry it up to his room. Okay. Hey, NCAA, NCAA is taking action, Chuck. If, if this is what is important to you on, the, on this Thursday, if all it takes is agreeing that, yeah, the cookie cake will be handed off to mom and, you know, dad and the uncle down in the lobby so Heath David me you well I'll be back in 22 hours in today's fast-paced world your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union free online and mobile banking no minimum balance required plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance at LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required.